And it's there at the cross you feel the depths of your sin, you feel the magnificence of his compassion and grace and forgiveness. It's there particularly at the cross you see the deepest heart of God. There you'll grow in the fear of God. There you'll see how he cares, how how he loves, how, how he adopts to himself failures who he will then care for with a paternal, loving, ongoing security. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Michael Reeves. Michael serves as president and professor of theology at Union School of Theology in Oxford, England. He's also a local church minister, director of the European Theologians Network, and the author of a number of books, including What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? from Crossway. Today, Michael and I discuss what the Bible is actually getting at when it commands us to fear the Lord. He makes the case for the difference between rightly fearing God and sinfully being afraid of Him. He explains why the fear of the Lord is so often paired with examples of God's gracious blessing and commands to love Him in Scripture, and offers encouragement for the Christian wrestling with consistent guilt, shame, and even fear on account of their sin. Let's get started. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway Podcast. Hey, lovely to be with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. So I think it's fair to say that the idea of fearing God is something that can be pretty uh, perplexing to many Christians, not least of all because the Bible itself seems to say that we should both fear God and also not fear God. Uh, And I just want to list a couple examples here. Uh, 1 John 4.18, we read that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But then we read in places like Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a very well-known verse for many Christians, I'm sure. So maybe before we get into the, the dynamic there that's at play in Scripture, I wonder, have you ever personally struggled with this seeming contradiction? Uh, What did that look like? Yes, uh, I I think... uh not only a contradiction, but a misunderstanding. I personally uh, felt that I struggled with a sinful fear of God uh, where as, a, as a younger Christian through misunderstanding the nature of God, who he is, what he's like, through failing to see his graciousness. I was a bit like a young Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther was very blunt. He said that because he'd not understood how God in pure grace and kindness justifies by his his kindness alone, uh, Luther said, I did not love, I hated the righteous God. And I don't think I would have been quite that blunt as Luther. (laughs) I'm English. But... uh, (laughs) but, I felt that not really appreciating how gracious God is, I had given in to a a dread of God rather than the scriptural view of a right fear, which is a happy, delighted fear. And I'd not got that at all as a younger Christian. 
Mm. Well, and that's such an interesting dynamic there that uh, a misunderstanding of what Scripture is actually telling us to do, calling us to do, to to fear God in the way that you're trying to to describe here, can actually lead us into a sinful attitude, a sinful disposition. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it's it's made worse sometimes by the fact that Christians know that this is a biblical theme. We're called again and again and again in Scripture to fear the Lord, but they're confused by what seems to be different messages in Scripture. You you, you quoted First John four and then Proverbs nine, and and I think seeing, for example, um, the lack of reverence for God in worship, that sort of thing, has inclined some to say hang on, let's tone down the love language and the grace Mm. language and say, yes, that's true, but Scripture also calls us to be, and what they'll effectively say is, be afraid of God, which really isn't what Scripture is saying at all, because the fear of God, that we're called to the right fear of God, actually stops us from being afraid of God. And you see this in Exodus 20. Uh, do you remember when the Israelites, they're all at Mount Sinai, and they, uh, they're they trembling in, in dread, in fear, um, at, at all the, the thunder and the lightning and the thick darkness. And Moses says, do not fear. This is Exodus 20, 20. Do not fear. The Lord has come to test you that the fear of the Lord may be upon you. So, it, which is a very strange verse. He's saying, do not fear so that the fear of the Lord might be upon you. And it just starts, it's one of those verses that gives us a, a little eye-opening moment to see the fear of the Lord is not what we might expect. It's not the same as being afraid of God. And we're going to misrepresent God if we suggest that it is. Yeah, well, that, that's even that phrase, the, the fear of the Lord is not the same as being afraid of God, might, might feel uh, very oxymoronic in, in many listeners' minds right now. That might not even compute, like, what are you saying? And I, I wonder if one approach uh, to kind of dealing with this that, that you even kind of uh, suggested there, I think some non-believers, obviously, but even some believers can sometimes... Uh, try to explain this dynamic. I, I quoted two passages, one from the New Testament, one from the Old, by sort of saying, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, God God presented himself to his people in a pretty intense, uh, angry, even scary kind of way. And so fear was the right response. Fear was what he was going for. That was kind of the dominant way that he wanted us to relate to him. But now in the New Testament, God has sent Jesus and in grace and kindness and love. And so we don't need to be afraid anymore. And we see so many passages in the New Testament talking about not being afraid. Uh, So I think obviously some non-Christians will say that, but even Christians uh, might sometimes fall into that way of thinking. How would you respond to that view? Well, I think it's, it's a tragic misunderstanding of both the Old Testament and the New Testament to think like that. First, because um, when the Lord describes his um, uh, the fear that he's looking for in the Old Testament, it's, uh, like you see in Exodus 20.20, 20, it's not a 
um, being afraid of. It's not a dread that he wants. In, in fact, that dread, that uh, being afraid of God, is precisely what the devil is seeking to promote in us. So the sort of sinful fear that the devil would promote, but that God does not want, is the sort of fear you see in Adam when he's he, he's afraid and so he hid, um, or, or the Israelites at Mount Sinai. But what you get to see um, again and again in the Old Testament is, for example, uh, Jacob at Bethel. And he has this dream, you remember the famous dream, Genesis 28, uh, of the ladder to heaven. Yeah, very perplexing story that it's, yeah. I think, I, I've always wondered, what is what is the point of that? What's going on there? And what happens is the, the Lord reads out this catalogue of blessing. Say, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll bless you. There's not one hint of threat. It's all blessing, 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 blessing. And then we read, and Jacob feared and said, how awesome is this place? So it's a reaction to God's goodness. And that, that also is then what's promised in the new covenant. So this is in the Old Testament, but a promise of what new covenant faith will be. So you see, um, in Jeremiah 22, the Lord says, I'll put the fear of me, in verses 38 to 40, he says, I'll put the fear of me into them so that they will not turn from me. And we could think, well, is that the... We're going to be so scared that he's going to punish us if we turn away from him. Is, is that what he's talking about? But then he goes on in Jeremiah 33, verses 8 and 9 particularly, again to catalogue blessings. And he talks about how he's going to bless Jerusalem. And he says, this is Jeremiah 33, verse 9, and they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I pour out on them. So they're trembling, not because of any threat, any punishment, they're trembling in wonder at how gracious he is. And that's what you get to see both in the, in the Old Testament, Hosea, they shall fear towards the Lord. They're not running away from him, they're leaning mm. towards him. And this is what New Covenant belief is. So fear is not just um, a negative Old Testament thing. It's a positive wondering at who God is that's an essential part of the new covenant promise. Mm. Yeah, that, that's such an interesting interesting dynamic because it almost sounds like you're redefining the word fear. Like we kind of we have an, a conception of what fear is. Mm. I think you're using the term of like a sinful fear. We kind of know what that is, this dread of God and of punishment of because of our sin or because of our rebellion. Um, I guess maybe one question that people might have is then is is fear the right word to describe what you're getting at? If 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 we're talking about something which is a response to God's blessing, why would we call it fear? Well, the words used for fear in the Old Testament and the New, uh, particularly in the Old Testament and the Hebrew, um, they're very physical words. Um, so um, one of them in particular is really very closely associated with the idea of physical trembling. Mm. And so the idea of fear is capturing the fact that you are physically weakened. You go weak-kneed when you fear. But you can go weak-kneed for two reasons. You can go weak-kneed when you're a soldier under fire, 
and you're terrified for your life. Or you can go weak-kneed when you're a bridegroom and you've just seen your beloved walk up the aisle towards you and you just yeah. go weak-kneed. Yeah. And so I think the alternative words we turn to, I understand why we do that, like awe and reverence and respect and things like that. I understand why people do that because it's trying to say, fear seems a negative thing to me, to us. It's not a negative thing. So let's, let's, let's repackage it as respect or awe or reverence. And those are right words, but I think they're a bit too grey, a bit too weak to really capture what the Bible's talking about with fear. So when the Bible's talking about fear, it's saying, well, it can be a negative thing. So, so a sinful, it's the same word. It's the same word, exactly the same yeah. word. It, it can be a sinful fear that you're dreading either an enemy coming or you dread God. You hate the thought of God judging you. But a right fear, the sort of fear we're called to, is not that, but it's equally physical. It is a, I tremble in wonder at who he is. And you get to see then how um, fear is so closely linked to both love and joy in scripture. So a number of times you see fear paralleled with love in scripture. So Deuteronomy, um, when Moses is introducing the law in Deuteronomy 6, he says, you teach these laws to your children that they may fear the Lord. Well, what do you mean, Moses? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God. So fear and love are right in parallel there. And fear and joy equally work in parallel. Nehemiah prays, Nehemiah one eleven. he says, Hear, O Lord, the prayer of your servant, the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that there are, two, there are two lovely statements that are saying the same thing that come, come at this and show us the, the, um, what's being spoken of with fear. One is the end of uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, where we read, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God. This is the whole duty of man. The second is, of course, Westminster Short Catechism. Question one, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's saying the same thing as the end of Ecclesiastes. To glorify God and enjoy him forever is to fear him is the whole duty of man. So really fear is being specific about what sort of love and joy we have for God. Because, you know, we can say, I love God, but I love coffee, I love chocolate, and I can think it's the same thing. But my love for something is different according to the object. So uh, I, I love a coffee, I love God but I mean different things by those. <laughs> and fear helps specify that, that with my love for God, it is a trembling, wondering love. Not just a, oh, that's quite nice, like a, I think of with a, with a coffee. With, with our joy, it's not just a, the joy of a chocolate rush. You, you get sugar in the, in the bloodstream. The joy is a far richer 
thing with the joy that we find in so magnificent a Lord and Saviour. And so joy really is specifying what sort of love, what sort of joy we have in this God. It is the fear of God is is the proper love for God. Yeah, yeah. That's so, that's so uh, for our culture, I think, counterintuitive. We, we would tend right. to put love on one side and fear on the other. And maybe we would say, yeah, Christians need to have both, uh, but they almost, they kind of balance each other out or something like yes. that, as opposed to a fearful love of God. It seems to be kind of what you're suggesting scripture calls us to. Absolutely. And, and I, th- I think you get to see that when, when we hear fear spoken of, it's often, God is gracious to us. He's a kind savior. So we love him. But also remember that he's great and transcendent and mm. magnificent. Therefore, you fear him. But I think that's unbalanced. Now, yes, absolutely. We fear and tremble in awe at the magnificence, the transcendent wonder, the omnipotence and power of our great God. But actually, that's not the deepest level of the right fear of God to which we're called. The deepest level is not we're trembling before a creator who's mighty. The deeper level of our fear for God is sharing Jesus' own filial fear. So a wonderful moment in Isaiah 11 happens where Isaiah is describing the spirit-anointed Messiah. And he says in Isaiah 11.3 that he'll be filled with the spirit of the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus, we're told in Luke 2, grew as a boy. He grew in wisdom. Now, you cannot grow in wisdom without growing in fear because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so Jesus himself, who had the Son of God, who had no sin in him, nothing, no dread of God, no fear of punishment, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. And that's what we're brought into as believers. We get to share Jesus' own fearful delight in his Father. That, that's fascinating. That is, I've never thought of that before, but that does, the thought that Jesus himself feared the Lord in this sense that you're describing, uh, it, does, it does kind of cause us to take a step back and question, am I understanding this uh, correctly? And one of the things that you mentioned in your book uh, is that uh, although our modern world uh, is maybe more safe and uh, safe conscious than ever before. We're, we're very concerned with being up on our vaccines and wearing our seat belts and uh, regulations that keep things working in a, in a very safe way. But nevertheless, we live in this culture of fear, as you say. Uh, and so I wonder, explain what you mean by that, this culture of fear that we live in, and how do you think that might influence how we even view this, this topic of fear generally, even as it comes mm. to how we fear I, I almost feel I hardly need to say anything because amid a pandemic, we are in a culture of spiraling anxiety. And I use the word anxiety there because fear usually has a very definite object. When you fear something, there's a thing that's on your mind, but anxiety is a more free-floating thing. And I think that's what we're surrounded with. We're in a culture where anxiety is in the air. 
meaning that you latch on to objects to fear very quickly. So one minute you fear knife crime. You're walking down the street and you fear being mugged. The next moment you fear for your children being kidnapped. You fear for losing your job. And we have become a culture more and more susceptible to anxiety. And you see this, that the more health and safety we seem to have doesn't seem to make us more relaxed at all. We triple check our doors even more, it seems. Hmm. And I think the reason for that is that we've lost the proper fear of God as our object. And therefore, without knowing God as the one who who we can fear, that fear eclipses all other things, we're finding that other things take God's place. And, And sometimes it's good things take God's place. But those good things assume a divine ultimacy in our minds. So, for example, the health of our kids, that's a good thing. But it can assume a divine ultimacy in our minds such that I'm constantly worried about it, constantly Mm. trembling about these things. And the fear of God is the solution to our culture's anxiety. So I think the, the reason that we're so anxious is because we lost the fear of God. But because we lost the fear of God and we're so anxious, we don't want to see the fear of God as the solution to our problem. Yeah, but, yeah. But Scripture presents the fear of God as the only fear that imparts strength. Hmm. Well, and, and as we've just discussed, despite this culture of fear that we live in, it also seems like, and maybe this is almost paradoxical in itself, it seems like culturally it's out of step to talk about fearing God in any sense. Yeah. Even within Christian circles, um, there's such an emphasis on God's love and on His delight in us, and these are these are good things that you're you're affirming. Um, but it can almost be like, uh, is it purely a misunderstanding of the fear of the Lord that's driving that resistance to that kind of even Christian, uh, even among Christians, that understanding of, of fearing God, or? Do you think it actually can be a problem that people uh, so overemphasize God's love and His joy in us that we we lose something of the seriousness of uh, who He is and how great He is? Yeah, you mentioned before how we can uh, think that we love God because of His grace, but we also fear Him for His magnificence, uh, and how that's imbalanced. A right fear of God is the wondering response to who God is in all his perfections. And so we fear him, like Jeremiah 33, we fear him because of all the good and all the prosperity he gives us. We we fear him because of his grace. We fear him because of his righteousness. In all these ways, his magnificence, his humility, his compassion, his wrath, in all these ways, these are things we fear him in. And so he is to be feared for all that he is. He's to be wondered at, enjoyed, loved in that deep, heart-affecting way such that we ultimately tremble before him. And now we, we only tremble in part because we fear in part. But our future is that our joyful, filial fear of God will be unconfined, just as the sinful fears of unbelievers will be unconfined one day. But part of the problem, I think, is that 
people misunderstand God. And so we have uh, what you might call a dread of holiness. Uh, I, I think here of uh, C.S. Lewis's story um, in The Great Divorce, where the ghosts go to the heavenly meadow and they see the solid people of heaven. And in the brightness, the, the, the lovely sunny brightness of this heavenly meadow with these solid, real, alive, good, kind people, they fear, they dread. And that's, that's a problem for sinners, that fear is a negative thing in part because we misunderstand God and because we don't want to let go of our grumbling sinfulness. We don't want to let go of our dignity. And so we fear the joyful freedom that a wondering at God will have, a wondering at all that he is. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of a, of a, a verse like... Um... Matthew 10, 28, which reads, uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, talking to them about this broad uh, broad topic of anxiety, as we were just discussing about worrying about tomorrow. And he, he, he offers this really interesting response to them, really interesting encouragement to them not to worry. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, and I think the implication is God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm. So it seems like right there we have this um, tricky thing where he's trying to uh, encourage his people not to fear the things of this world, the anxieties of this world, uh, by fearing the punishment that God himself could mete out uh, on us. So how do you understand that verse in light of what you're saying? Yeah, so I think that fear he's talking about is part of that overall fear of God that you get to see another reference would be in Isaiah 8, um, verse from verse 11 on. Um, you see Isaiah saying, Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, let him be your fear. So what Isaiah seems to be saying there is that when you fear God, that fear of him will eclipse other fears. And that's why I think this topic is so important for today in this anxious world, that when Christians are so blown about by their anxieties, this is the time we need to have a right fear of God. Because when you fear God, then God looms large in your perspective and people don't. And therefore, you can have the boldness to seek to please him and not simply do whatever people ask you to do. When when God is great in your perspective, when you see that he's a kind father steering all of creation, then you can say, I don't know how my prayer for my family's safety is going to be answered, but I do know I have a kind father who's in control of all things and not a hair can fall from their heads without his nod. And so the fear of God is the antidote to our cultural anxieties and and fearful running from one problem to another. Hmm. I wonder if you could put on a bit of a pastoral hat right now and how would you what would you say to the Christian listening who if they're honest would have to say that uh he or she lives with a near constant sense of uh, anxiety or fear 
or guilt, maybe specifically uh, related to God and how he feels about them. Maybe there's a sin from the past that still haunts them, or maybe there's even an ongoing struggle with sin in the present uh, that makes them feel afraid of God, uh, of what he might do to them, of what he might not do for them. Uh, What would you say to that person? I'd say the fear of God grows best in the soil of the gospel. So if you would grow in the fear of God, which will give you greater knowledge of God, which will give you wisdom to get through life, which will cure your anxieties, if you grow in that, press into the gospel. Read scripture, read good books that will take you further into the gospel. Because if you're constantly dreading, say, what problems could befall you in life, almost certain you've not got a big enough picture of who God our Father is in his sovereign care of creation. If you are worried about some sin that you think is unforgiven, then, and here's really the heart of the gospel to press into, go to the cross and see, look what Christ has done to cover all our sins. It's at the cross you get to see, given that the Son of God has given himself, there is no need for you to top up what he's done. His blood is sufficient. You know, John Bunyan, the old Puritan who wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote some wonderful material on the fear of God. And he said something along these lines. He said, When God visits you with forgiveness of sins, you will be forgiven, but you will sense your sin more. But this forgiveness of the sight of the cross will make you both rejoice and tremble. Oh, the blessed confusion that will cover your face. That's what we get at the cross, that at the cross, we get to see, oh, how great is my sin that Jesus died as the only solution for sin. My sin is great and I I feel freshly broken at how great my sin is, but... Oh, how magnificent is his forgiveness and his salvation. And it's there at the cross, you feel the depths of your sin. You feel the magnificence of his compassion and grace and forgiveness. It's there, particularly at the cross, you see the deepest heart of God. There you'll grow in the fear of God. There you'll see how he cares, how how he loves, how, how he adopts to himself failures who he will then care for with a paternal, loving, ongoing security. It's the gospel, and the gospel that is the heart of growing in this fear, anxiety-relieving fear of God. Hmm. That's such an encouraging word. And uh, What would you say then to a different type of Christian listening right now? Maybe this is the believer who who, if they were being honest, really doesn't ever worry about how God feels about them, even kind of in the midst of their sin, who, who doesn't maybe feel that sadness or that regret or that anxiety when it comes to sin. 
Uh, this is a person who's maybe pretty quick to, to think to himself, God's grace is sufficient. Uh, what, what would you say to that? I think it's the same answer, actually. Um, once again, if you can feel like that, if you can feel cold about God, bored about God, or simply feel cozy in his presence without trembling in wonder at who he is, I think you've got a very short-sighted view of the gospel because you've forgotten that your smallest sin takes the blood of Christ to atone for. It's not a small issue at all. And if you think, yes, I've sinned, but I'm forgiven, so that's all fine, your view of sin has become horribly small. And you need to go again to the cross to realize, no, your sin is an eternal treachery. And Christ is an even more glorious savior. So there again at the cross, you'll see the seriousness of the problem is not to be thought of casually, but you'll also see here's a more magnificent savior than you've remembered. Don't think casually or blandly of him. You can't just think, yes, I'm forgiven. You, If you're not thinking, I must sing of him, I must tremble in wonder at him, you've lost sight of who he is. You need to press into the gospel more so that you rejoice and tremble. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 17, I believe. He, he says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, uh, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, uh, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, uh, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, kind of bringing those, Christ's precious blood with the fear of the Lord together. Absolutely. It's the blood of Christ is the most fertile soil in which this happy, wonderful, trembling at who God is grows. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today to help us, uh, I think, a little bit better understand what it means to fear the Lord and why that's uh, a wonderful thing that Scripture calls us to. My pleasure, Matt. It's been lovely to be with you. That was Michael Reeves on Rightly Understanding the Fear of the Lord. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving us a review? That really helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.